want to say uh, welcome to those of you here in the room with us this morning, as well as those who may be joining us uh, on live stream. We're happy that you're here with us. I think we are, as of this weekend, officially in fall. Is that right? Kind of feels like it. I love fall. It's my favorite season of the entire year. And uh, for those of us who love the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to stay away from pumpkin, pumpkin spice lattes things. For those of you who need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, go ahead and partake. We'll pray for your souls over the next uh, couple of months. Uh, happy that you're here with us. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Chris. Get to be one of the pastors here at New Life. And before we get cranked up on uh, the sermon this morning, just want to make you aware of something really important coming up in Body Life. Uh, actually, less than a month away now, but it's something that we call Love 828. If you were here a few years ago, you may remember the same event as Serve Asheville, but we've changed the name of it, kind of rebranded it. And that's coming up Sunday, October 22nd. So that kind of feels like it's a long way away, but it's really not. It's less than a month away. And uh, that's a day where instead of coming to church, we're going to go be the church in our, in our city and serve our partners and serve different public schools and uh, just different things that city officials have kind of plugged us in with and, and really be the hands and feet Jesus uh, right here in the 828. And so here's what I need from you. I, I need you to go to that little QR code or go to our website, newlifeofashville.com, and there's a little link there that you can just sign up and uh, ask for your name, your T-shirt size, all that kind of stuff. Now, here's the deal. October 22nd, we're still going to show up here, but we're going to show up at 915. So I know you 11 o'clockers, that's like... And that's a stretch, all right? But set your alarm a little bit early. We're going to meet up 9.15. That's our early service time. And we're going to just have a very brief kind of 15 minutes. Michael lead us in a couple of worship songs. I'll have a, a five-minute Devo, something like that. Grab our T-shirts, get our instructions, and then we're going to head out into the city for the morning. And so, again, just want to encourage you, please go ahead and sign up so we know how many projects to plan for and kind of get our ducks in a row. And that's going to be an awesome time together as a faith family. Again, Love 828 coming up October 22nd. Please sign up. Please register uh, for that morning. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover. And uh, so let's go to the Lord and ask for his help before we jump into his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we are uh, so grateful. Father, we know that you don't need us to accomplish your mission here in Asheville and around the world. We know that you invite us into it because you love us, you care about us, we're your sons, we're your daughters. And you know that being on mission with you is what brings us life and joy. And so we thank you for allowing us to be a part of what it is that you're doing here in Asheville and around the world. God, as we step into this time where we open up these ancient words, I pray that your spirit uh, would be here. Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place and this space. We ask that you would meet us where we are, that you would allow us to turn off our uh, racing thoughts and our anxious hearts so that we might engage with a living God. God, we need to hear from you, and so we ask that you would do that now through your word, by the power of your spirit, and we pray it all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life, and they may have it abundantly. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, I believe that in the human experience, in some real sense, whether you're uh, a Christian, or whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're agnostic in your faith, Buddhist, New Age, wherever it is that you are on the spiritual spectrum, 
that in some real sense, we're all in pursuit of this very promise. We're all in pursuit of the abundant life, aren't we? Like the life that makes us happy, the life that gives us purpose, the life that gives us fulfillment. We're all chasing this promise from Jesus Christ. Now, modern day cultural secularism kind of offers this promise of the abundant life um, with no boundaries. And so it's kind of the, the theology of the day is you do you, boo, right? <laughs> whatever seems right to you, whatever your moral compass says, you just do it. And as long as you're being true to yourself, whatever that means, then, then you're going to find happiness. The problem is that we've kind of been on this pathway for two or three decades now at least, and more and more studies are showing us that this promised pathway to the abundant life of you do you, you just kind of live your life with no boundaries or restrictions, that ultimately that promise is a mirage. And study after study is showing skyrocketing rates of anxiety, depression, and mental illness in our country at never before seen levels. Now, for those of us who grew up in a more religious context, we try to, tend to try to find the abundant life through religious achievement, don't we? So if you grew up in a Muslim context that was praying five times a day, it was taking a pilgrimage to Mecca. If you grew up in a Baptist context, maybe it was you know, perfect attendance in Sunday school class. Or if you grew up in a Catholic context, maybe it was uh, you know, go, saying enough Hail Marys or you know, going to enough confessional booths or whatever it is. But we find as, as religious folks that, that even those activities don't lead us to the abundant pathway either. We typically end up kind of disappointed, kind of disillusioned with our spiritual journey. And what I'm beginning to, to learn as I step into my, my 40s and kind of middle age now, what I'm beginning to learn and really press into is that the portal to this abundant life that Jesus offers us isn't found in a boundaryless life that our culture kind of holds up in front of us. And it's also not found in religious piety or activities. But actually, this abundant life that Jesus offered is found, listen to me, guys, is found as we adopt the habits of Jesus, otherwise known as the spiritual disciplines. And so two weeks ago, we launched a series called Rhythms, and we introduced uh, two of the spiritual disciplines or the habits of Jesus, bonus points. Can anybody remember the first two that we covered two weeks ago? Silence, Silence and solitude, bam, well done. All right, gold star for you guys. Now last week, we uh, unpacked two more of the habits of Jesus. Anybody remember? What were they? Sabbath, I heard one. Celebration. All right, you guys are actually paying attention. Now, your homework assignment, there's homework every week during this series, and some of you are like, man, let's wrap this series up. But so your homework uh, last week, last Sunday, was to set aside some time, either a full day or a partial day, to practice a true biblical rhythm of Sabbath, all right? So how, how did that go? For some of you, it's today. I've talked to some of you, like, hey, today's our, our Sabbath day. So how'd it go for everybody? Anybody do it? Is it okay? Decent? My, now, my, my family, we, we did it sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, so that was last night, and it was phenomenal. And we let our kids all plan uh, one portion of our Sabbath day, so they got to choose different meals, different activities. So, man, it was all, I spent the whole weekend eating steak and, uh, you know, having a, a, a great brunch. Went out to an apple orchard uh, yesterday afternoon, turned our phones off, put our check, our to-do list away, and it was incredible. So I would just encourage you, if you didn't practice the homework last week, you didn't do a Sabbath, it's not too late. You can start today. Make, make today your Sabbath day where you just kind of set aside everything, your to-do list, the mowing the grass, the paying the bill, all of it, and just enjoy the people that God has around you. Enjoy uh, your creator. And today, we're going to introduce two more spiritual disciplines. 
And those disciplines are prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, I would argue that these two disciplines, prayer and fasting, are portals directly into the heart of the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Now, here's the really interesting thing. As you study the Bible, uh, most often spiritual breakthroughs are preceded by two things. Do you know what those two things are? Y'all are so smart. Prayer, prayer and fasting. Here's the prayer and fasting. So usually you see kind of this amazing, miraculous, great work of God in the church or among God's people. Almost always it's preceded by two things from God's people, prayer and fasting. Now here's the problem for us as modern day American Christians in the Western context. The problem for us is that these two practices by and large have mostly evaporated from church life and practice. Now, sure, like we'll say a quick, you know, prayer before we eat or maybe when we tuck our kids in bed at night or our grandkids or whatever it is. But I'm guessing if I were to take a poll this morning and say, hey, how would you rate your prayer life? Would you rate it as a strength of your journey with Jesus or would you rate it as a weakness with your journey to Jesus? And then question number two, how's your fasting life? Like, is this a regular practice, a regular rhythm in your walk with Jesus or is it something that you seldom do or never do? I'm guessing if I were to do that poll, most people would have to check prayer is not one of the strengths of my spiritual life and fasting is something that I rarely or never do. And I'm not saying that to beat you up. This is something that I've struggled with uh, for most of my Christian life as well. And so we're just kind of learning this together. Now, I think there's all sorts of reasons why that's the case for most of us in the American church. But my hope this morning is to just kind of provide, if I could, some clarity around the art and practice of both prayer and fasting so that you might just get, <clears throat> get a taste of the spiritual power that is available to you in Christ by the power of Holy Spirit if you are a follower of Jesus. Because I think so many of us are just kind of live these uh, weak, feeble spiritual lives and we have access to all this storehouse of incredible spiritual power that God has for us and it's just kind of left there dormant in our life and I think that's a real tragedy for those of us who know and love Jesus. Now, let me give you the big idea of uh, the morning, and then we'll break things down. So this is on the screens for you. Here it is. If you want a powerful life, you can't live a prayerless life. I'll say that again. If you want a powerful life, you can't live a prayerless life. And what I want to do is show you some of the habits of Jesus of Nazareth. So these will be on the screens for you, but we'll start in Mark chapter 1. It says this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place. That's the Greek word, eremos. We talked about that two weeks. If you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back on our website and catch it. He went out to the eremos, and there he what? He prayed. Matthew 14. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Luke 5. But the news about him spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to the Aramos, the deserted places, and he prayed. Luke 6. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer. Like for Jesus, communing with his father was actually even more important than sleep. Right? Apparently that's how critical and central this was for Jesus. And so for Jesus, as you unpack the gospels, prayer seemed to be, listen guys, the center point of his entire life. 
Like, like it wasn't an add-on, it wasn't an extra, it wasn't a, it wasn't a tack-on just when, when he had extra time in his schedule or when it was convenient for him or just when he was facing some monumental crisis in his life. It didn't seem like it was drudgery or just kind of a religious checklist for him to mark off. No, it, it seems to me that it was something that he actually enjoyed, like he thrived in his prayer life. He found, he found it to be life-giving. Certainly, it was a rhythm of his life. More than that, Jesus seemed to have expected his disciples to also have prayer as the center point of their lives. Let me show you what I mean. Also on the screen is Matthew 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to unpack this more in a minute, but just, just watch the language here. Verse 5. Whenever you pray, not, not if you pray, like whenever you pray. Verse 6. But when you pray. Verse 7, when you pray. Verse 9, therefore, you should pray like this. Luke 18, now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. And I show you all of that to say this. If you're a note taker, write this down on the screens for you. If you are a disciple of Jesus, prayer must become a priority. If you're a disciple of Jesus, like if you just, if you make that confession with your mouth, I'm a born again, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, Prayer can't be something that's just available to you when there's an emergency in your life or when it's convenient for you or when you have some extra off time. It's got to become a priority, a rhythm of our daily and weekly lives. That's what I hope to show you this morning. Now, you be, may be thinking, well, Chris, well, how, do, how does that work, though, man? Like, so what are the mechanics of prayer? Like, does it even really matter? Is it, hasn't God just kind of like already foreordained the sequence of history? Like, does it really matter? Because I, I did last year, I prayed for that new Ford Bronco and he gave it to April Carroll instead. And, um, and so I'm still driving my hoopty Civic. So how, how good is, is prayer really? Or when I was five, man, I prayed that pumpkin, my goldfish, would live forever. Man, and I ended up doing a three-star salute at the toilet for pumpkin and I've been traumatized ever since. Or for you, maybe it's something more serious, right? Maybe you had a, a wayward child who prayed for it, but they ended up dying of a drug overdose. Or maybe you prayed that the Lord would heal your, your mom or a loved one of some terrible disease, and he chose not to answer that prayer on this side of eternity. And So there's a lot of confusion. Like, how do we pray? What's the point of prayer? What's the purpose of it? And So that's what I want to do. So just kind of spend a little bit of time talking about prayer, purpose of it, what Jesus has to say about it, and then just finish up with a few minutes on the subject of fasting. Now, there's really a captivating story in uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 11, where um, Jesus, as again, was his habit, was his rhythm. He was praying. The disciples see him praying. He finishes up his prayers, and his disciples come up to him after he's done praying, and they have a question for Jesus. They go, Jesus, would you, would you teach us how to what? Would you teach us how to pray? Would you teach us how to pray? Now, uh, this is the only thing in the Gospels. By the way, this is interesting. I didn't know that until I dug in this week. This is the only thing in the Gospels that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them how to do. Isn't that interesting? Now, imagine being one of the original 12, and you've seen Jesus heal the sick, walk on water, turn water into wine, feed thousands, preach to seas of people, and just mesmerize them with his teaching calm a storm with his very words and the one thing they ask Jesus to teach them how to do is pray now I, I just you know I gotta confess to you and, and this is just kind of sh show you maybe how immature I am spiritually but 
I'm thinking if I'm one of the 12 and I've seen Jesus do all these things, I'm asking for tips on like how to cast out demons <laughs> or like heal sick people or walk on water or turn water into wine, which is like the coolest party trick ever. Could you imagine your small group? Hey guys, watch this. Boom, why? You know, it'd be awesome. I'd be asking them for tips on how to preach a killer sermon or, or cast out demons. And, but not the disciples. They come to him and say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? Isn't that fascinating? And, and I think, and, and there's a little bit of speculation on my part, but I think it's rooted in Scripture. I think it's because the disciples were perceptive enough to notice that all this other awesome Jesus-y type stuff that he was doing flowed out of that one central practice in his life of prayer, of communion with his Father in heaven. And so Jesus teaches them. He answers their question and he unpacks what it means to pray and he teaches us as his modern day disciples how to pray. And aren't you grateful that he has told us how to pray, that we don't have to just kind of guess or, or, or flail about trying to figure out, man, how should I pray or when should I pray or what's it look like? Like Jesus actually wants us to know and he's, he's told us and it's beautiful. What follows in the narrative in Luke chapter 11 is often referred to by scholars as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives an extended version of that same prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to camp out for uh, the rest of our time this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, open it up on your phone, device, whatever. Go to Matthew chapter 6. I always want you to know I'm not making this stuff up, so read it with your own eyes. And what I want to do as we go through this passage is show you four marks or four characteristics of authentic prayer. Okay, so four marks, four characteristics of authentic prayer. So this is Jesus teaching his disciples how to, how to pray. Here we go. Verse 5, Jesus says this. When you, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room and shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Now, let me just say this. Jesus, I don't think here, is teaching his disciples not to pray publicly, right? Some, some have made that argument. Uh, I don't think that's the case at all because Jesus prayed publicly, right? His disciples pray publicly. We pray publicly from the stage every single uh, Sunday morning. What Jesus is doing here is he's warning them against praying with wrong motives. Did you catch that? He's warning them against praying with wrong motives. See, the Pharisees, these first century religious leaders would oftentimes uh, find a very public place. So they would go to the street corner where there are massive crowds or they go to a prominent place within the synagogue where there are lots of eyeballs and lots of ears and they would stand up and they would pray these really loud, flowery, repetitive, overly spiritual prayers. Why? So that everybody would go like, oh my gosh, you're so spiritual, dude. Like, I just wish I had your relationship with the Father. Like, could you teach me your ways? So they would, they would kind of do this to impress other people with these flowerly, like, super long prayers. And uh, if you grew up in kind of 
Southern church culture, uh, you, you know exactly what Jesus is talking about here, right? I can, I can remember as a kid, um, there were a, a couple of men in, in one church that I was a part of. Uh, God bless them, man. And in the South, whenever you say God bless them before you tell a story, you know it's, it's going to go sideways. But God bless these guys. Um, we would, um, God love them. We would just have, the, we would have these conversations in the hallway or uh, in the lobby, and then just normal guys talking about the football game last night or whatever it is. And, but, but something would happen when they would step on stage to pray in front of the church. You know what I'm talking about? Their voice inflections would change. The way that they would pronounce certain words would change, like the word God. All of a sudden, it would become God, you know? They would start to speak in King James English. You know what I'm talking about? It's like a normal person. I just, like, I just talked to you about the cowboys. And now you're on the stage, and it's like, Oh, God, we beseech thee to show us thy great mercy from above. Right? I'm like, what happened to this dude, right? Did he just have a stroke on the way up to the stage? Like, what happened to this guy? This is not the same guy. Jesus says, if you pray for the praise of men, you have received your reward. In other words, prayer is not a performance. I love the way uh, Spurgeon, one of the greatest uh, preachers in my mind in human history put it. He says this about prayer on the screens for you. He says, true prayer is neither mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a, listen to this, a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. That sounds like a big deal to me. <laughs> In short, prayer is us talking with God. Now notice I didn't say talking to God. I said talking with God because it's a conversation, right, where we speak and then we're silent and we hear from the Father. We hear the still, small voice of Holy Spirit. It's a conversation with God. It's a beautiful thing. It's relational. And that's the first component, the first mark of authentic prayer. Number one on the screens for you is it's personal. It's personal, right? It's not, a, it's not something that we do publicly for show or to receive the praise of other people. It's personal or relational. Let me show you what I mean. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus begins to instruct them by giving them a model prayer. He says, pray then like this. And now this part, I want you guys to say out loud with me, all right? So don't leave me hanging. Here we go. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen prayer, the first thing I want you to see there is prayer is personal. Did you notice how Jesus instructs us to begin our prayers? How are we to address God? As Father. Isn't that fascinating? Not as great holy deity, the almighty sovereign one. I mean, there are all kinds of things that we could say about God and all kinds of ways we can address him. Jesus says, no, no, no. When you come to the throne room, if you are in me, if you're a follower of mine, if you're my disciple, you address him as Father. Abba, it's dad. It's this idea of intimacy or endearment even. Now, I, I wanna say, uh, for some of you, you're probably like, yeah, Chris, that's an easy concept for you. You have a good relationship with your dad. I do, I'm grateful for that. I know that for many of you, that is not your story, that is not your experience. For a lot of you, your earthly dad was a horrible human being. And he abused you in unspeakable ways or he abandoned you and your family when you were a kid. 
And if that's you, I want to say two things. One, I'm sorry. The second thing I want to say is your heavenly father is nothing like your earthly father. That he is everything you always hope you, you would have in your earthly dad. He is that. And I want you to begin to see your heavenly father through the lens of scripture, not your experience with a fallen, um, sinful human being. And I think for, for, for many of us, whether it's a, a father wound or some issue like that, we can struggle in prayer because we have a skewed view of who God is. Like, I'll give you a couple of for instances. Um, for instance, if you have a, have a view of God uh, as if you grew up, again, Southern church culture, many of us probably grew up with this view, but if you view God as some sort of like angry sky police with a billy club, just waiting on you to sin, right, so he can whack you over the head with it, it's gonna be hard for you to wanna pray if that's how you see God. If you see God as some distant CEO, right, who kind of spun everything into existence, but now he's just kind of off, removed, he's not interacting with his people or his creator, it's gonna be hard for you to wanna commune with that. If you see God as some sort of like impersonal, spiritual, universal force, it's gonna be hard for you to wanna, like who would wanna pray to any of those things? But, but when you can begin to see God through the lens of loving Father who wants you to know him and enjoy him in the context of a relationship, it becomes delight rather than drudgery. It becomes a beautiful thing. So that's the first thing we have to know about what authentic prayer is, is it's, it's personal. We come to him as, as a kid comes to their loving Father. Right? There's this idea of intimacy there. Look at the second line of the prayer, verse 10. He says, next after you kind of enter into that personal place and space with your heavenly father, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what, what I want you to see here, there's a lot we could say, but what I want you to see mainly here is that this is not some mindless, heartless, emotionless chant or rote theological treatise. Now, if you grew up in, in, in a high church background, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, whatever, you maybe recited the Lord's Prayer every single week. And the danger in that is it can just become kind of this rote, mindless, heartless thing that we don't give any thought to. But I want you to know that's not the intent of Jesus when he gives us this method or model for praying. That's not the point. So when we read that line, here's what I want you to think of. This is, this is Jesus saying, hey, look at the, the brokenness of the world around you. Are you aware of any brokenness in your world? I know I am. And so Jesus says, look at the world around you and notice the pain, notice the sorrow, feel the suffering, and then say, God, would you do something? God, would you allow your kingdom of light and love and forgiveness and healing and restoration to break through the darkness of this world? It reminds me of the, the prayer that King David prayed in Psalm 42 where he says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, God. So my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And we slap that on coffee mugs and put it on t-shirts like it's just some kind of trite little cute saying, man, this is, that is not what David is saying here. David in that prayer is saying, God, I'm desperate for you. God, I'm desperate for your kingdom. He goes on in that psalm to say, my tears are my food day and night. He's saying, God, I'm, I'm like an animal on the verge of collapse and death. Unless you show up, unless your kingdom breaks through, I'm done, I have no hope. And so when Jesus is saying, pray this prayer, 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to know these are passionate pleas to a good heavenly father. And so maybe for you that prayer looks like, God, would your kingdom come, would your will be done in the brokenness and ashes of my marriage? God, would your kingdom come, would your will break through in the life of my kid who is far away from Jesus? God, would your kingdom come, would your will break through on earth as it is in heaven in the illness of my loved one? And the doctors say there's no hope, but I know there's always hope with you. And so God, would you show up in the midst of this pain and this darkness and the sorrow and the suffering in the way that only you can? And that's the second mark of authentic prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples. Authentic prayer is not only personal, but it's also passionate. It's kingdom-oriented, and it's passionate. And then in the next verse, we begin to see Jesus begin to shift the gears a little bit as he moves into petition mode. Look at verse 11 with me. He says this. He says, pray like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, did you notice that he didn't say, give us today our weekly bread or give us today our monthly bread give us today our yearly bread I'm thinking about retirement so give me my 25 year 401k bread I don't know the the prayer is Jesus today today would you show up I'll worry about tomorrow I'll engage tomorrow with you tomorrow today would you show up would you meet my needs daily Today, which means if we're asking for bread daily, how often does Jesus expect us to pray? You guys are smart, man. Daily! In other words, all the time. He wants you coming to him all the time. Daily, every day, a consistent rhythm or pattern of our walk with our Savior. And that's the third mark of authentic prayer Jesus has given us here. Not only is it personal and passionate, number three, it's persistent. In other words, it's not just something that you do when you're in trouble. It's a regular rhythm of your life. It's a way of life. It's a portal into the heart of the Father. Paul expands on this on the screens for you, Colossians chapter 4. Paul instructs us, continue steadfastly in prayer. He goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians, pray without what? What's that word? Pray without ceasing. He's just mimicking the words of his Savior, right? In other words, if you love me, Jesus says, if you follow me, this has to become a priority in your life. It's not something that you do when you tuck your kids in bed at night or you just say a mindless prayer at the dinner table. It needs to become a pattern of your life. Friend, let's learn to be persistent in prayer. I love the uh, quote by the scholar uh, Ronald Rollheiser. It's on the screens for you. He says this, all great spiritual writers give only one ultimate rule for prayer, and that rule has nothing to do with method, style, or content. It is simply this, show up. Show up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever stop going to prayer. This is idea, which is like Jesus said, it's persistent, right? This is a pattern of our lives. We've got to prioritize it as disciples of Jesus. The last mark of authentic prayer for the follower of Jesus, number four, is that it is productive. In other words, listen, y'all, prayer works. How many of y'all believe in the power of prayer? How many of y'all believe there's power in the name of Jesus? Now, listen, this is implied in Matthew 6. It's made explicit the very next chapter as Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. So just go ahead and flip over there uh, or, or swipe over Matthew chapter 7. Listen to the words of Jesus. Same sermon, 
starting in verse 7, he says this, ask, or this is the idea of prayer, right? Pray, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Listen, friends, you need to understand this. Prayer unlocks, in some real sense, the kingdom of heaven on earth. God does answer the prayers of his children. Now, I've told you guys this before. God can answer our prayers in three distinct ways, right? He can say, yes, no, and not yet, right? So just because you didn't get what you wanted, just because you didn't get the Ford Bronco, doesn't mean he hasn't answered your prayers. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is not yet. Why? Because he sees things that we can't see and he knows things that we don't know. That's part of faith, right? Is learning to trust that the Father knows better than us. Now, how many of you like me can look back at different points in your life, prayers that you prayed, and you can look back now and say, thank God you didn't answer that in the affirmative. How many have prayers like that? (laughs) Like, man, especially, I think back to like high school years, college years, like people I thought I wanted to marry, right? Like, God, please help me marry. And then you look them up on Facebook like 10 years later, and you're like, phew, man, dodged a bullet. (laughs) Thank you, thank you, Lord, for saying no to that prayer, right? Thank you. You know better than I do. So many of us can look back in our lives, and we were heartbroken at the answer at the time, but when we get, have the advantage of time, of hindsight, we look back and say, thank you, Lord, for not giving me that job. Thank you for not letting me get accepted into that college or, or to take that job in another state. Or I mean, there's a billion things that we pray that God knows better. And just because the answer is no or not yet doesn't mean that he's not there and he's not answering our prayers. So much more that we could say on prayer. Let me just close this section of the teaching this morning with this. This will be on the screens for you. Prayerful people, listen, prayerful people become godly people. Listen, almost without exception, all of the saints that I admire or mentors, men and women that I seek advice from on spiritual matters, almost without exception, all of them are deeply rooted in the discipline of prayer. Almost without exception, prayer warriors. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think there's something about becoming a prayer warrior that makes us more like Jesus. Prayer for people become godly people. Now, a quick word on fasting. Uh, Tyler took too much of my time, so I gotta, gotta speed up here. Matthew chapter six, starting, I'm just kidding, Tyler. Matthew chapter six, starting in verse 16. Same, by the way, same sermon, Sermon on the Mount, and, and not, a, not a coincidence that this comes right after Jesus' teaching on prayer. So it goes prayer, fasting. Prayer, fasting. It's almost like in his mind, these two things, you couldn't separate. Like they were just connected I think we somehow in the American church have disconnected those things. Like we can talk about prayer and then talk about fasting as another subject. In Jesus' mind, they seem to be very much connected. Listen to this. And when you fast. Now notice that word when again. Do you notice it's not if? If you fast. When you fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So Jesus is saying, hey, listen, don't walk into your office and go, oh, I'm so exhausted. 
I just have no energy. What's wrong, man? I'm fasting for the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> just trying, you know, trying to be, somebody's got to be spiritual around here because you're not. Right? He's, say, he's saying, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 17, but again, the word when, not if, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. In other words, man, get up, take a shower, comb your hair, brush your teeth, you know, put, put some hair gel on maybe. Look presentable. Look like you're a happy human being. Don't, don't stumble in there like you're about to pass out so everybody knows what's going on. And your Father who sees in secret will what? Reward you. That's interesting, isn't it? I want God's rewards in my life, do you? He says, I'll reward you. If you practice the spiritual discipline and you don't make it all about you, but you make it about me and my relationship with you, I'm actually going to give you reward in your life. Now, the expectation of Jesus clearly is that his disciples are going to be fasting regularly. Not if you fast, he says, when you fast. Now, it's interesting, as I went back and did a little historical research this week, the early Christians, listen, guys, they typically fasted two days a week. Some of them won, but oftentimes, Christians in the early church would fast two days a week. The only two days where it was prohibited to fast were one, the Sabbath day, right? Because the Sabbath is all about celebration and feasting and fun and worship. And the Lord's Day, Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, right? Because you're gathering with the saints and you need energy to sing and, you know, listen to the word. And you're also taking the Lord's Supper a lot of times. But outside of those two days, the other five days were game for prayer and fasting. And most Christians chose the sequence or the rhythm of twice a week. Now, listen, guys. Somewhere along the way, and I don't know when it is, we have lost this vital habit of Jesus and spiritual discipline, I would argue, to our own detriment. Now, let me just give you one quick Old Testament example, one quick New Testament example, two principles on fasting, and we're done, okay? So here's the Old Testament example, Ezra chapter 8. Ezra is this prophet of God, right? They're in Persian exile, and they've been praying for years that they would be able to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. God just kind of miraculously works it out so they could go back, but they got a long journey back to Jerusalem. They're worried about their safety, right? They could be mugged, killed, whatever. And so Ezra develops a plan on how to get from the Persian empire back to Jerusalem. Here's the game plan. Check it out. Ezra chapter eight, verse 21. He says, then I proclaimed a fast there for all the people of God at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all goods. Look at verse 23. So we fasted and implored or prayed to our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. So his game plan, this monumental period of time in the, the history of the people of God, it was not to, to raise up some great army or to raise all these funds. His, his game plan, his strategy was prayer and fasting. God listened and he answered. Now look in Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 2. This is the early church, right? Jesus has just ascended to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. God is doing all these miraculous things and the church is growing like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire. And verse 2, read, read with me. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Isn't that interesting? Worship, prayer, fasting, Holy Spirit shows up, talks. And said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after, there's that word again, then after fasting and praying, notice the marriage, 
between fasting and prayer. They laid their hands on them and sent them off. Huh. Old Testament and New Testament. Dallas Willard, great scholar, uh, he, he, he says this about fasting. Uh, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. In fasting, we learn how to suffer happily as we feast on God. He goes on to say, fasting is feasting, not on food, but on God. Listen, guys, fasting is a way for us to starve our flesh in order to feed our spirit. Fasting, in a, in a sense, is, is when we are hungrier for something we can't see than something we can see. It's withholding something physical to obtain, obtain something spiritual. As one pastor said, fasting creates space in our life that God can fill. Now, I will just say this, confession time. There's, there's something I don't understand about fasting. Some things I don't understand about. I think there's mystery that kind of shrouds this practice. Um, there's something mysterious that happens in the spiritual realm when we marry prayer and fasting that I cannot explain. Listen, guys, all I know is this. Jesus fasted. He expected us to fast. And there's something that happens that's very powerful in the spiritual realm when we add fasting to our prayer lives. And for me, that's all I need. There's going to be mystery around it, but I know that that's important to Jesus. It's important for those of us who follow him. So quickly, two truths about fasting. Number one is it adds power to our prayer. And again, in some mysterious way, fasting acts as an accelerant to the fire of our prayers. Do I understand it completely? Uh, no, I don't. I, but, it, but it just seems to, scripturally, fasting adds this accelerant to the fire of our prayers. Uh, in fact, there's a really cool story in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus uh, sends out his disciples to cast out demons, and so they go out, and they're able to cast out some demons, but they're not able to cast out all demons, and so they come back to Jesus. They're a little bit perplexed by this. They're like, Jesus, what's, what's up, man? We were able to cast out some of the demons, but we weren't able to cast out all of the demons, and Jesus answers in a really fascinating way. He says this, this kind, talking about this kind of demon that wouldn't come out, this kind only comes out by prayer, and some manuscripts add, and fasting. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. In any case, the message of Scripture is clear. There's an element of power that gets added to our prayers when we fast. We starve the flesh to feed the Spirit. And when we do that, something supernatural happens in the heavens that we can't explain. But it's very much real. So fasting, it adds power to our prayers. Number two is it brings supernatural reward into our lives. If you don't believe me, believe Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 6 again, verse 18. It says that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will what? Will reward you. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I, want, I need all the rewards that God has for me in this life. Now, I don't want to shortchange what God has for me. I want everything that's accessible to me that God wants me to walk in in this life. And Jesus is saying at least part of what's available to you that you only can unlock happens when you're praying and fasting. Which means for me, I gotta pray and fast because I want those rewards in my life. I, uh, I, I mentioned this to you guys before. I started for the first time in my 20 plus year journey with Jesus just a few years ago. I started fasting. Uh, typically one day a week. 
and I'm not legalistic about it. I don't beat myself up. There are times where it's like, hey, I got a lunch appointment or, or whatever, and I, and I skip a week. But most weeks, I fast one day a week. Right now, it's Tuesdays for me, just because that's what works best for me. You do it when it works best for you, how God directs you, but this is the way it usually works for me. I, I'll eat dinner on Monday night, and then I'll skip breakfast, and I'll skip lunch on Tuesday, and then I'll break my fast on dinner Tuesday night. So it's a full 24 hours without food, and I just drink water, and I also have coffee because we're not trying to get crazy here, all right? So water, it's a water, it's a water and coffee fast. If you're more spiritual than me, you can eliminate the coffee and just, I would have a killer headache, but, you know, it's probably because I'm an addict. But for me, that's, that's, that's kind of my rhythm, my cycle, all right? So Monday night, I don't eat. I don't eat again until Tuesday night, full 24-hour fast. And I have to tell you, three, four years into this, I love it. I think it's awesome. And I've come to this place now where I've actually, I've actually come to welcome the hunger pains when they come. Because those hunger pains remind me to say to God, God, I am more hungry for you and your kingdom than my physical appetites. And there are times where I have something specific that I'll be praying for, somebody that needs healing or something like that. There are other times where I'm just praying general prayers. I just use that extra time where I'm not eating breakfast and I'm not eating lunch to just commune with the Father on my lunch break. And it's incredible. I love it. I look forward to it every single week. There's a great quote by Basil the Great, uh, bishop, pastor in the 300s. He says this about fasting. Fasting gives birth to prophets and strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. Fasting is a good safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the valiant, and a gymnasium for the athletes. Fasting repels temptations, anoints us unto piety. It is the comrade of watchfulness and the artificer of chastity. In war, it fights bravely. In peace, it teaches stillness. Fasting is like sharpening the edges of a man by dipping his body in iron. It makes him tougher than lions. Fasting quenches the power of fire. It closes the mouth of lions. Fasting sends prayer up into heaven, becoming like wings for its upward journey. Fasting is powerful when we marry it with prayer. Again, do I understand the mystery and how all that works in God's economy? I wish I did, but all I know, Jesus commands it, he models it, and it works. It's effective. Uh, Tyler Ross, he was just up here singing on the worship team, he's also one of our elders here at New Life. If you know Tyler's story, uh, Tyler has battled cancer uh, valiantly, overcome a battle with cancer a couple years ago. God did all these miracles in his life, and he's still with us. And um, he's got a, another battle coming up this Wednesday. So they're going in to remove a different type of cancer uh, from his kidney. So I would, I would just encourage you to uh, be in prayer with us uh, this, this coming Wednesday. I think about 1.30 is his surgery. Maybe that would be a great time for you to fast. But, but Tyler's become a good friend of mine. And uh, our, our sons go to the same jujitsu gym. And, and so he likes to tease me and I like to tease him back. And uh, Tyler, he comes up to me in the gym uh, a few months ago, and he's like, Chris, I just want to tell you something, man. Uh, I started fasting with you a few years ago, and then I got cancer. And I said, thanks, bud. I really want to carry that, that weight on my shoulders for the rest of my life. And I said, but, but did you ever think about it from this perspective, man? If you would not have been starving your cancer one day a week, you probably wouldn't be alive today. I mean, I don't want to take credit for you being alive, but you're welcome. And... Um, <laughs> And so, we, so we, we just give each other a really hard... So don't listen. To, if, if Tyler tells you that fasting causes cancer, it's not true. 
It's a, it's a way to bring forth the, the power and blessing and reward of God in your life. And, and we, of course, just like to, to tease each other about that. But, but I do tell you that to say, um, if you are going to fast this week, Wednesday would be a great time to do it, to pray for our brother in healing. So let me give you your homework real quick. You guys know, or do it. We got a homework assignment every single uh, Sunday of this series. So here, here's the first thing. I want to encourage you to fast for one day. For me, it's Tuesday. Usually, I might switch it to Wednesday for Tyler. Um, but whenever works for you, and for me, it's a full 24 hours. Now, biblically, a fat, we, we're kind of wimpy as Americans, and so we try to make it a fast from like sugar or video games or something. And fasting in the Bible is always food, okay? So I, I realize there are a few of you that you have a medical condition, you can't do it. But for like 98% of us, it ought to be food, okay? Because that's the hardest thing to fast from. So let me just encourage you, one full 24-hour day, you can have water, you can have coffee if you're a loser like me, and, and just one full 24-hour period, and then make it a part of your one day of fasting to carve out 30 minutes of uninterrupted prayer time. You can pray for Tyler, you can pray for uh, whatever situation is going on in your life. So just take that lunch break where you normally would be chowing down on a salad or a burger or whatever, and allow that hunger pain to drive you to the Father and feast on him instead of feasting on uh, food. All right, so here, here's the last thing. The band can go ahead and come on, on up. We're almost done. Prayer and fasting is a means to an end, guys, okay? It's a means to an end, and that end, that purpose, is a vibrant relationship with our creator. So let me just encourage you, practice the disciplines, but don't lose sight that the goal of the disciplines is not just to practice the disciplines. The goal of the disciplines is to know God better and enjoy him more. So I want to finish with one promise from... Uh, God in Jeremiah 29, 13, God says this, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so church family, let's seek the Father this week by practicing the habits of Jesus together. Let's pray and then we're gonna worship. God, we, we come to you and we are so eternally grateful that you have offered us abundant life. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We don't just have heaven to look forward to in eternity, but we have eternal life, abundant life, available to us right here in the here and now. So God, would you help us to practice the habits that you, Jesus, practiced while you walked planet Earth? Things like silence and solitude and Sabbath and celebration and prayer and fasting not as religious checklists, but as, as portals into the heart of the Father where we can access spiritual power and this abundant life that we're all chasing after. And Jesus, we thank you so much for coming on a rescue mission for us that we were, while we were still in our sin, you chose to come into our mess and came to, to live the perfect life that we should have lived, but we couldn't came to pay the price with your death on the cross you rose again on the third day to give us life and freedom and forgiveness God so help us to walk in that if there's a person here watching online who hasn't made that profession of faith in their life if they never surrendered their life to King Jesus I pray that they would do that now that they would turn from their sin that they would repent and place all of their faith and all of their trust in Jesus so that they could also experience this abundant life that you have for us. We love you. We pray all these things in your strong name, Jesus.
Amen. Church, would you stand with me as we worship?